You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 45. Today, Claire and I are discussing how to treat neck and shoulder pain with Chinese medicine. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fiona Gitchen. And today we're talking about neck and shoulder pain. The Heavenly Chi Podcast is produced for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's episode. And if you really enjoy our show, please rate us on iTunes. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's show. Uh, so pretty much from when you're first in practice, you're going to get people coming into your clinic with neck and shoulder pain. So today we're going to talk about neck and shoulder pain, and I think we'll try not to focus too much on the obvious things that you will have learned in school, but we'll try and bring in some other perspectives and some things you might not have thought of and some things that we've discovered definitely along the way when you, know, when you have a case that you can't resolve the pain in it's definitely a really great opportunity to learn a new technique or learn a new channel connection or a new diagnosis that may be at play in neck and shoulder pain so um, we do know that one of the first things you can do in your clinic as well to make an impression upon the efficacy of acupuncture and especially for people who haven't had it before is that you can resolve pain for them fairly quickly. It's one of acupuncture's strengths. You know, even if we're dealing often with treating the deeper causes behind what's causing the ills for our patients, even though some will just come in for pain, you're going to be looking at deeper things, but if you can resolve that pain in the first session, you're going to have someone that's more likely to book in and come back. And so I think this episode's all about that for neck and shoulder pain. Yeah, I think um, something that's definitely worth emphasising is that with with acupuncture, particularly for pain relief, we should be expecting the results to be immediate. So it really should be the case that for the majority of your patients that they are pain-free before you even leave the room if you're, you know, if you're the type of practitioner who, who retains needles with their patients. Um, but if you get the point selection right and you get your needle technique right, then, um, or it may even be that it requires moxa and not needles, um, but you should be able to have them pain-free within, you know, a few minutes of starting your treatment and it's a really great way of, um, you know, developing rapport with your patients and getting their um, getting their trust in you as as a health provider, particularly if they're a new patient, or if they've been seeing you for a while for something else, and and you know you can you can fix this neck pain really quickly. I think it's a really important thing to know, particularly as a new practitioner, or even if you've been around for a while, if you're not expecting to get really quick results then, um, yeah, definitely lift your expectations because acupuncture really is is really profound and very, you know, it's amazing even for me as a practitioner. I was like I'm constantly amazed. I'm like, wow, this person's pain-free and they're really excited as well and all you've done is kind of find the point that's going to get rid of their pain or the points that are going to get rid of their pain and they're, um, and they're very excited too. It's a really great way of building up trust with your patients and building up a client base too if you're looking to get new patients in. People are going to really want to talk about their experience if they've had an amazing experience. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have neck and shoulder pain and they might not even mention it. I mean, so many people are working at computers and the way that our posture has been adapted to spending a lot of time sitting and driving in places rather than walking and keeping the the lower posture of the back and the hips more mobile and so there's a real connection there with the neck and shoulder pain and I think that quite a lot of patients will have it 
and may not even mention it when you ask the 10,000 questions on their intake. So it's also something that you can treat. I think a lot of practitioners will also treat both sides of a person, the front and the back. And the person will get relief in other areas of their body because it is such a hotspot for stress storage and um, it's also going to be a really good spot to investigate how the chi and body fluids are flowing through that area to refine diagnostics as well. Mm. I would also add to that that driving um, is another thing that people do a lot of and can contribute to, you know, poor posture and, you know, using your body in a way it's not really designed, you know, you're not really designed to have your arms straight out in front of you for so long and a lot of people have their seat too far back when they're driving and so it causes them to outstretch their arms further and that shortening through the pec muscles can really aggravate the neck muscles and cause and, and can contribute to that imbalance it can make the neck pain and shoulder pain quite hard to treat until you can have that patient aware of their posture and how they can correct the various activities they're doing in their day yeah I always think of about the link as well just with the fact that you know because of this movement like if we do a long drive what will happen is the fluids in all those muscles in the neck and shoulders will stagnate they're not really circulating and you know so is the chi of course so then you have that connection on the front as you mentioned with the pecs shortening and this this is going to um, not allow the correct flow of chi and fluids through the shen the heart area and that upper part of the torso which is going to make so much of a difference for how anybody feels when that's worked on when that area is supported to flow again which is pretty much the most basic thing we're doing with acupuncture is we're just removing blockages mm. yeah absolutely and a lot of the time we don't even need to touch the neck you know we can use distal points with acupuncture to release a lot of what's going on you know just getting the chi flowing getting you know, helping the, the fluids to circulate properly throughout the whole body and particularly through the neck and shoulder area is really, you know, that just has a flow-on effect that can um, help to get rid of even the longer-standing neck and shoulder pain in mm. a very short period of time. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the types of patterns that we're going to see. Mm -hmm. um, I'll start with the obvious pattern. Of course, you're going to hear about the liver yang rising and the liver chi stagnation. And this can be associated with neck and shoulder pain that can develop into headaches as well as stress and anger being involved in this type of neck and shoulder pain. So I think, you know, that's usually the first pattern that tends to come to mind. But there are other patterns that you know that we've seen and of course there's injury and trauma and things like that I think most of you will, most of our listeners will be aware of all the of a lot of causes um, but I wanted to talk about the type of neck pain that arises when there is quite often post cesarean or when there's some other kind of belly scar and yeah. cold in the belly and that link up with the neck area and where you get more relief in the neck by warming and unblocking the scar in the belly yeah I, I mean that can be really quite profound you know and neck pain is something that a lot of new mums complain about so particularly you know if we're talking about cesarean section um, you know if they're holding a baby and they're breastfeeding and they're looking down at their looking upon their beautiful baby and you know straining their neck in that way there's lots of other ways that they can be exacerbating the pattern I guess that's going to cause the neck to be sore and stiff. But, yeah, sometimes you actually need to fix the scars on the belly in order to be able to make progress. Um, and that's, you know, in particular you think about the number of channels that run through that run through the belly that get literally sliced in half. So it's not just the renmai but it's also the chong, the kidney channel, the stomach channel as well. Um, I think there's also an inner pathway of the dumai that runs up through the front. Um, and so there's there's some pretty significant damage that can happen when um, when women, well, well, when women have a caesarean, but, you know, with anyone who's had belly surgery, um, that it can, uh, it can lead to ongoing problems that can exacerbate or cause neck problems. Yeah, absolutely. And so in treatment of that type, 
I find that if you do a scar treatment, lots of shallow inserted needles along the scar, followed up with moxa, um, and then often you, you already will be creating a better circulation through the neck and shoulders, but you may also want to follow that up with a combination of treatment with acupuncture that really suits the patient as well. But just that warming and scar treatment alone will create a change in the neck and shoulders. Yeah, I would add to that um, that if there's post, post-birth in particular, so um, anyone who's had a caesarean or even just in general if there's women who have postpartum neck and shoulder problems um, and if there is an internal cold component to that, which often there is in that postpartum period, that um, cupping the navel, so cupping on Renate, is I find to be far more efficient way of dealing with that internal cold, um, that it removes the cold and then you don't have to use quite so much moxa over such a long period of time. You can um, You can really kind of short track treatments. Heather Bruce has been one of the main people who have taught this technique and we'll link up her one of her instructional YouTube videos on how to do the the navel cupping the belly cupping if you're not familiar with the technique. Yeah absolutely and that just knowing that technique will help in so many so many conditions so that's worth having a look at anyway. I oh are we okay to move on to another type? Well, yeah. Although I want to, I want to give, um, or maybe I'll leave the case until later. Should I do the case now? Okay, let's do the case. <laughs> um, so I had a, I had a gentleman come in, maybe eight or nine years ago, and he was referred by his GP to come and have acupuncture. He was on a waiting list for neck surgery um, to have his. Um, so long ago now, I can't remember exactly the details, but it was a, um, I think he was having his um, um, his vertebrae fused in his neck. He had really bad neck pain um, and it was going to be two or three weeks before the surgery. And he was, he was almost grey from painkillers, so he was on maximum dose of all of the opioid and anti-inflammatory painkillers that they could give him and he was still in 9 out of 10 pain. It was very profound. Anyway, he came to see me for some acupuncture to try and get some pain relief whilst he was waiting for this surgery. And uh, so I did my initial intake and he was getting a bit annoyed because I'm asking him all these questions and really he's like, yeah, but my neck is what's sore. Why are you asking me about my surgeries? And he'd had all of these surgeries done where he'd had um, a radical weight loss surgery. So he had a duodenal switch. He had um, his duodenum removed. So it's quite a big scar um, from that. And then there was some complications post-surgery. So it had three surgeries altogether. And if you can imagine an anchor type of shape. So he was cut pretty much all the way along his diamine um, and actually had two different incisions along along his diamine. Um, and then on the front of his diamine, so from probably about the corner of the um, the anterior superior iliac spine, the ASIS, from one side to the other. And then from that scar up the midline up to about REN17, he had a scar all the way up through there. It sort of deviated around his belly button. Um, yeah, both of these, you know, the, all of the three of these scars, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't. <laughs> I can't use any of my amazing distal acupuncture points for this guy's neck because there's no road there, like the roads have been totally blocked off. So I explained to him, look, I'm going to get to your neck soon, but first of all, I just want to have you lying on your back because there's no chi getting through here, through your belly, to be able to, for, for the acupuncture to work properly. So basically using... I guess there's different people have different ideas about how to needle scars, but the approach that um, I've found that works better is to just put as many needles as you can into the scars. So I had almost, I would say it was over 100 needles through here, and I just did the bottom part of the scar. I didn't do the Renmai aspect, just the just across that Dimai pathway and um 
put heaps of needles in there, left them in for about maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And there's lots of red, you know, those red halos that come up around the needle. So there's lots of chi that came there, you know, um, and that was, you know, I thought was a really good sign. Anyway, so I came and uh, took the needles out and uh, got him, I said, okay, now it's time to roll over onto your front. And his neck pain was gone from that treatment. We did, I treated his neck anyway, because obviously, you know, that's what he was coming for. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, that he was, you know, feeling like he was getting a complete service. But I'm like, wow, this is, acupuncture is amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and he thought that was brilliant. He was actually pain free for about two or three days. He came back again um, about four or five more times over the following, um, over the following couple of months. Um, he, he didn't end up needing the surgery because he had no more pain. Um, and he, he actually came back in tears the next week saying, thank you so much. Um, I can actually feel my pants. He hadn't, um, he'd had to wear suspenders for the previous 10 years because he couldn't feel whether or not his pants had fallen down. Um, and so this was a really amazing thing for him to have that sensation back in the belly area. And of course, it, you know, changes the, you know, potential for intimacy between him and his wife as well. He's got different sensation through that area. And, um, and so that's a case that really sticks in my mind when talking about neck and shoulder pain that sometimes, you know, that's not the obvious place to go is fixing the belly scars. Such a great case to, you know, exemplify that you, you've got to work on the belly scars just to make sure that your chi efforts that you're sending around the rest of the body can get through. You know, it also reminds me of times when I've needled belly scars and it's prompted a quite a strong emotional response as well. Like the one needle in, person's feeling totally fine. The moment the needle hits them, a tear starts to flow out. Um, so I would also mention to people that there's, I think you need to be aware of that when you do start needling scars on the belly and I mean it's such a yin vulnerable location and having a scar there is a you know another type of a wound yeah I think um you know we have to remember that as I mean yes we've got the you know the wonders of modern science and and even logic dictates that if there's a problem with the neck that we you know that we go to the neck but um, sometimes, you know, we need to remember that we've learned the medicine of chi and yin and yang, and that's not necessarily, it doesn't follow that those same linear pathways, you know, like we're actually treating the body as a whole and, um, and yeah, going to the not so obvious place is sometimes the best place to go to. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I remember before I studied acupuncture, I just wanted to throw this in where we're talking about emotional response um, and especially to, to neck pain and shoulder pain. I mean, that's the behind your heart. It's your protective part of the back of your heart and well, not so much the neck, but the shoulders and in between the shoulders. And, you know, we do know that's such a hotspot for places that people's bodies naturally store stress and then as we mentioned about posture, but um, I studied with a shaman before I studied acupuncture. And when he said to me, look, if someone comes to you with neck and shoulder pain, you've just got to ask them who or what is a pain in your neck? Yeah, absolutely. That's often, and if it's not who or what is a pain in your neck, it's the other, the other syndrome, I guess, that can, that can contribute to neck and shoulder pain is that idea of carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. You know, people yeah. are overburdened with responsibility. Um, I mm -hmm. find that a lot more in women in particular. Um, where mm. they, you know, I think it really depletes their blood energy to just be, yeah, just constantly having to worry about things that are not necessarily even within their control and that I think that's part of what leads to that blood deficiency pattern that you that is very common in women who have... Um, headaches or, or ongoing neck and shoulder problems that you know that type of that type of neck pain where they could literally have a massage every day for their their whole life and it wouldn't really get to it wouldn't really get to the cause because it's kind of like their muscles are like like beef jerky you know like it's just they're so just dry and undernourished and you need to return that nourishment allow that nourishment to flow back 
into the muscles and um, and get that blood energy replenished and flowing again classic case of that <laughs> I could <laughs> really I'm like, the, I'm like the cat I'm like the cat you can pat me where the neck and shoulders meet all day long <laughs> <laughs> I like that I wanted to add in yeah, another thing there especially when you were talking about the blood deficiency um and I was thinking of you know when you have people that have fluid lump around bladder 11 12 13 Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that quite often that will be in someone who had a parent who spoke to them really aggressively or abusively or harshly. And they've already built up this kind of blockage and this padding over the back of their body there in that position between the heart and the throat just because they have to hear this, you know, hear these words from this parent. So... There's a lot of deeper implications of when you see that as well on the Shen level and working to resolve that can really change a lot of things for people. Yeah. I guess that, you know, people are not necessarily, when they're coming in and they're not necessarily going to be aware of these links or, um, you know, they, they might be coming in and just saying, hey, I've just got a headache, you know, I just want you to help me with my headaches or, you know, can you just help me with my neck and shoulder pain? I'm not here to talk about my feelings. I don't want to talk about my childhood with you. I just want you to help me feel better. <laughs> um, I think the beauty of acupuncture is that you, there doesn't necessarily have to be words spoken. Um, you know, if, if patients aren't in a good space or in the right space to be able to um, discuss those kinds of things with, you know, with us as their practitioners, then that's okay. You know, that's it's not necessarily going to be a block to treatment from what I've seen. We can still just have, you know, if you've got a sense that there might be something there, whether or not you acknowledge it with the patient, I don't think you necessarily need to. I think you just assess where the imbalances are, where the disharmony is, and, you know, determine what the best way is to rectify that balance. And I think it, regardless of what layer or layers of that person is involved in, in their pain, then, you know, it'll, it'll resolve with the right treatment. Yeah, that's a really great piece of advice. I remember that um, the lovely Chimundi Phoenix, who was one of our first, very first guests on this podcast, was telling me about uh, she had a, a wonderful apprenticeship with a Chinese acupuncturist in Melbourne and she was telling me that he said he would do gua sha, like to moderate gua sha or just the level that was needed from the individual uh, in between the shoulder blades of nearly every woman who would come through the practice and quite a lot of the men too, but just recognising that there was nothing that really needed to be said about that, but that just, you know, everyone's carrying this certain amount of tension and pain in the back and the shoulders there and behind the heart. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, working with the gua sha to just give them some circulation, allow what gets stuck to move. Yeah, and allow some of that evil chi to kind of vent out. Mm. And a nice way to, to uh, finish an acupuncture treatment too. Mm. We'll start. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the other causes of ongoing neck pain can be bruxing, you know, that teeth clenching or teeth grinding. And people can oh, do yeah. them either consciously or unconsciously, either during the day or at night when they're sleeping. And that's something that's a bit more complicated to address um, but that can be something that can definitely get in the way of getting some you know quick and good lasting results you might get some initial results from the treatment but the the pain may come back um, there's a whole range of things that you can do for your patients um, to support clearing out that habit that will that pattern that their mouth and their jaw and their teeth get into um, but I find that one of the trickier ones to deal with, and I'm sure there's patient, um, 
there's some of our practitioner listeners out there who are absolute geniuses when it comes to helping patients with their bruxing. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that we'd love to uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say and what you have to offer in regards to treatment. If you can uh, pop that up onto our Facebook page and our other listeners can have a listen as well to what you have to offer. But uh, what's your experience, Faye, with treating bruxing? Mm, I'm eating. I just want to say <laughs> we promised an eating episode with Ancestral Sturman, but the food didn't arrive, so I'm eating during this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is the, the heavenly cheese getting more and more relaxed. <laughs> okay. Well, I've had some interesting cases of, uh, you know, jaw tension and teeth grinding uh, and teeth grinding in the sleep is something that I would like to investigate differently to people who kind of clench during the day but don't really show strong signs of grinding during their sleep, like their teeth don't show signs of it. And that is that if they're doing it during their sleep, I go on a dream investigation and a hun investigation. And I have a big background in practicing lucid dreaming practices from Tibet and different other kind of East Asian practices. So that's an area where I feel confident to just kind of ask people what it is that they need to discover. What are they chewing over in their dreams? And they might be in a state where their hun is really trying to process and reorganize the stressful things during their sleep and they're just chewing over it because they can't make a decision yet, which is the gallbladder. Mm. You know, so they're kind of chewing and chewing. So there's, you know, there's things that you can just investigate. I think it would be very rare to find someone that grinds their teeth that doesn't have an interesting theme in their dreams if you have the time to ask them about it. So that's one method of investigation. And um, with treating it, I really like local points, you know, stomach six, stomach seven, and the small intestine, 19 near the ear, and small intestine 16 on the throat. Their window of the sky points can sometimes be really important too. So they would be indicated as well if someone's telling stories or reporting anything that's like a feeling where their body and mind are disconnected or they're separate from their body, that would indicate to use more of those window of the sky points around the neck. And we're all talking about neck pain as well as the jaw clenching. And then when people have headaches and migraine patterns, I really like to do a series of around about six, sometimes more, you know, maybe six to 10, but I find at least six are required sessions that are one week after the other consecutively, where I do sliding cupping across from large intestine 16, across through gallbladder 21 up to bladder 11, and then down through the bladder channel from bladder 11 down to bladder 18. So I do this T-shaped sliding cupping with oils, just to the point where you're drawing out, you know, redness and what's in there. I'm not a fan of cupping where people end up purple and black. That I don't think that's necessary because you're just going to pull out as much as the body and the liver, you know, can detox and the kidneys can handle to clean that fluid flow basically through those muscles. So people will feel a little detoxy after a treatment like that. And that's why I just do one layer every week and have them come back and uh, do the sliding cupping again. And I find that after six weeks, and sometimes more, like I said, you kind of do it, you'll see when that amount of sha and stagnation has come out and shifted and you'll see changes in the tongue and the pulse and of course they'll say oh I'm not getting as many headaches or migraines and I find that's a really complementary treatment to a lot of the patterns however if you're dealing with someone with blood deficiency then you need to nourish the blood for at least a month before you start getting really good results moving that shah that can be in there too. Yeah, I really like that idea of, um, you know, using sliding cupping as a way of really helping to mobilise the fluids and get the chia blood flowing effectively through those muscles. Um, they can become really quite tight in a lot of people and I think that's a really great approach. Do you Have you experimented with gua sha as well or you found that cupping is the most effective? We're having chicken and vegetables, by the way. Organic and grass-fed to keep my 
Omega balance, healthy. Um, you know, I do use gua sha as well, but the reason this sliding cupping thing that resolves a lot of neck and shoulder pain, and especially when there's a headache pattern connected, it's really when they announce the headaches that I'll decide to do the sliding cupping process. It's something that I discovered shortly after opening my first clinic space and for the first few months I had a lot of cups but I didn't have any gua sha jade and I had this little series of events where every time I got some gua sha jade it broke so I probably <laughs> I just used the cups because that's what was there but it can definitely work with gua sha and I think uh, you know you can use other signs and symptoms to determine if the sliding cupping or if the gua sha is going to be more effective um, but I think the sliding cupping, when you can get a really good flow through that T-shape I described, where you kind of symmetrically flow into the centre and then down and then up and then out to the sides, and you get this flow going, it feels really nice for people. So it's also a kind of rhythmic massage. Mm. Mm. Like a Chinese cupping version of lomi lomi massage. Mm. Yeah, and um, if anyone has those silicon cups, which aren't really very strong, but they do feel nicer for a massage because they have that softer edge, they're, um, I think they're a good choice for the blood deficient type. Yeah, okay. Have you ever uh, experienced those? I've never used them myself. I've had, I've had them used on me a couple of times, but um, I think my body responds better to glass than to the, the synthetic um, yeah. material. I mean, you just it, obviously you have to check your cups to make sure there's no bits on them. You know, you can get those little um, glass bubbles or little spiky bits that can stick out of the glass mm -hmm. cups along the seam. You just need to make sure that you don't have those on the cup. little yeah. microchips. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we'll end up scratching your patients. Mm. I wanted so to say we... I wanted to say one other thing about the bruxing, and I'll link this video up in the show notes. Um, there was an amazing uh, video podcast that I listened to a few weeks ago. Um, they interviewed this woman who talked about, um, you know, proper use of mouth and neck, uh, mouth and jaw and mouth and like tongue muscles. Um, and she said that that's often quite linked to bruxing and the way that people hold their mouth and their tongue can impact on their sleep as well and, you know, can contribute to neck pain and TMJ, um, TMJ syndrome and even just, you know, really having a lot of tightness through the scalenes and the SCM muscles, the sternocleidomastoid muscles. Um, and, and it was fascinating. She was saying that it can be more um, people who have tongue ties are more susceptible. Um, people who um, never transitioned into adult swallowing um, patterns. So if you kind of didn't really learn to swallow properly and then you kind of, and the, you'll see this sometimes with patients who are like, oh, no, I can't take tablets. I can only do powders or liquids or whatever. Um, that that might be part of what's going on for them. And this woman, basically what she specialises in is teaching people how to use their mouth properly um, and that you need to have certain muscle strength in the muscles in your neck and your mouth and your throat to be able to hold your tongue in the right place so that you can breathe through your nose properly. Um, you know, people who are mouth breathers, that can often be another cause of neck pain because they're holding their their mouth open and it holds their jaw in such a way and it causes constriction through the muscles in the neck and that can contribute. So that was a really fascinating um, hour or so uh, <laughs> video to watch. Um, I haven't quite finished processing in my mind exactly how I think it fits into Chinese medicine, but you've also got, you know, that um, people that have a chronic um sinus problems that that whole rhino sinus microbiome thing can be um can be linked as well um that if you're not able to breathe through your nose effectively that that can be 
another sign that if someone's got a sore neck and they also have ongoing issues with their sinus, that it could be to do with their um, the way they're using their mouth and their tongue muscles. And there's exercises that that she talks about, and it's it's you know it's like qigong for your mouth kind of thing. That uh, you know some people have just never their tongue has just never done these movements before, and you can get really fatigued in your mouth and in your tongue trying to learn how to get those muscles strong enough to be able to stay in the right place. Um, but that's something that will link up. It's fascinating. Yeah, that's great information. I can definitely relate to that with, I've had singing teachers that have given me practices to do with my mouth that just really fatigue your tongue or some muscle in your mouth that you weren't aware of before. Um, I also learned a technique I might mention that is from another medicine um this is from rolfing and there's a technique where you can press inside the mouth alongside the teeth and to get the jaw muscles to relax this was a really amazing insight that rolfing gave me you know a lot of people sit there and vigorously rub their jaw and um try and force it to relax and open the mouth and press it open and use all this kind of more vigorous massage but what makes a lot of the mouth muscles relax is just having a finger lying on them, almost like just gently pressing, almost like you'd be taking the pulse of the muscle. Mm. I'm and trying you hold to do it, it now. I've got my finger in my mouth and it's not working. <laughs> yep. So you'd go up, try the try the muscles and, oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of them. Ooh, they have a strange name. I will just... I don't know it. Um, so if you go up to your back, upper back molars mm -hmm. and put your one finger with the fingerprint facing upwards mm -hmm. in between the cheek and the upper back molar until you feel that, I just did it myself, that's why that sounded weird, until you feel that just slight muscle resistance pressing on the finger. Mm-hmm. And you don't even press and you just hold it there for one, two minutes and you'll feel it soften and let go. And you can work your way around your mouth, especially the muscles on the upper and the lower jaw around the teeth at the back. And you can do the part of the mouth in between the teeth and the cheek and also the inside under the tongue or on the roof of the mouth just around the edge. Mm. So many things to know and learn. Aren't there? But these great techniques have helped me with acupuncture too, especially yeah. if people just have. So you might want to put gloves on if you were to do that on someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what about some acupuncture, some more acupuncture ideas? Well, I will first, and I, and I did, um, I guess, allude to it before, but I will also say that there are times when I find moxa to be far superior to needles um, for the treatment of pain. Um, and so, and particularly, you know, one of the ways that I'll go about um, finding the right point, I guess, and, and I'm, you know, using quote, air quotes here, like the right point for, the, for this person, you know, I'll palpate and say, okay, how's your neck if I press on this point? And often the pain will go away. But if you put, if I put a needle in that point, that it doesn't replicate the effect of the acupressure. And I often find in those scenarios that moxa will um, will then give the desired effect. Um, and I do get a bit frustrated with that because then I'm like, ah, that's going to take me longer. But, you know, it takes as long as it takes. The patient needs to get the right treatment from me is what my philosophy is. So, um, yeah, moxa is definitely something that I... Um, I go for with the with the trickier cases. I'm still eating. <laughs> You're still eating your chicken. Okay. Mm. Well, I'll I'll some well, other things I mean, as well. Um, and you eat your chicken. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I find gallbladder thirty nine to be a really great distal point for the neck and shoulders, um, particularly if there's like a blood deficiency or a kind of like a you know muscle dryness type of feel to it. You know, that uh, that presentation where, you know, I go for a massage and it feels great, but then it's sore again. 
the next day, that type of scenario. Um, and I find liver eight to be a really great point as well for um, helping to nourish and soften the liver blood aspect. Um, they're, they're points that I use quite a lot. I'll also look for other gallbladder points like gallbladder 41 or 42 um, can often help to um, take away someone's neck pain um, if they've got more of that kind of gallbladder pattern that or that you know that wood disharmony pattern. Um, also on the hand that system of Korean hand acupuncture and I think it's also described in a in a different way in the tan or tung systems but that the um, the spine is mirrored along the second metatarsal bone so starting up at around um, colon three um, and all the way down to kind of like colon 4.5 so the neck is right up the top near colon three and it's kind of like palpating along there to find a sore spot and uh, and you may put you know two or three or four needles into that spot around colon three and that can often help particularly if it's related to the spine or spinal alignment I find that to be a really great point location for relieving pain yeah that's a great spot I just wanted to second that one and it's also something that you can teach people to self-massage yeah I'm going to give some love to some local points I've got one more distal point Um, it's just a straight out die my uh, do, do my, sorry, so small intestine 3, bladder 62 mm. uh, is another one that's often quite a good one for clearing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think, you know, if you're, you're thinking about eight extra treatment in any scenario, you know, it's a really great way to go if, if they really fit that eight extra pattern. Or even if they just have the emotional patterns that connect with that eight extra channel, then you're going to supercharge your results. Shall we go to the back? Yeah, local point love. Yeah, I'm, I like combining a local point with a distal point with something that ties it all together. Yeah. I really like the small intestine channel. From small intestine nine, I mean, you've, you do have other great points along the arm that you may be using as well, but from small intestine 9 all the way up to small intestine 17 behind the ear, the way that that zigzags up across the shoulder blade um, and there's a lot of points around there that are really often tender for a lot of people. And so you can also enhance your treatment just by palpating that channel and finding those tender points and including them in the rest of the process. And the other one that can also really make a big potent difference is using the Huato Jiaji points. So I usually scan up them with palpation as well. And just finding the areas where they feel more blocked and you want to create better chi flow, nervous system communication and, and fluid flow throughout the whole nerve pathway out from the Huato Jaji point. So they can also be really, really powerful, especially if someone does have a degenerative spinal condition or a scoliosis uh, or an arthritis uh, or an injury or a fusion, like you mentioned, or they've had a lot of whiplash. Um, really, we can do a lot of work up those Huato Jajis. And I think when people have had a lot of whiplash, it kind of becomes almost like a scar pattern of tension in the neck there because there, there's fear in the movement patterns of the neck of it being thrown backwards again. So that's when you're also going to maybe bring in some of the appropriate spirit points down the outer bladder channel um, or those window of the sky points around the neck as well. Yeah, I think it's um, it's also really important for people to have just, you know, therapeutic touch and therapeutic interaction with a part of their body that they're often really quite angry about, you know. It can be really frustrating for people to have this type of pain that goes on and, you know, for I mean, sometimes you've got really acute neck pain where people literally can't even, you know, their, their range of movement is just so small, um, you know, that they can barely 
turn their head five or ten degrees, whereas for other people, you know, it manifests differently. It's just, you know, it could radiate up to cause headaches or just, you know, cause other issues. But, you know, it really our head and our neck and our shoulders are such a, um, an important part of the way that we use our bodies in a daily existence. And so um, these people are often, you know, they're living life in a really modified way and it can cause a lot of, like in itself, can cause a lot of emotional disharmony. And I think that we can bring a lot of compassion to the work that we do, um, even just having an acknowledgement of the different ways in which people can be affected by pain and you know without necessarily having to talk about it openly although you you might be the type of practitioner that does Um, but I think that that's a really important aspect you know and as I mentioned before in that case that even though that guy's pain had gone I treated him in his main complaint area um, and that's part of the reason why I do that because that's kind of what they you know, they want to have a positive interaction with that part of their body when they come to see someone like us. Yeah, sure. I think that's another good point, though, is just to look at how are people coping with pain? Yeah. And what are the strategies do they have? So we have some other strategies as well. Of course, everybody's thinking of magnesium. So let it be said. Um, And I find that when you have any neck shoulder pain, tension or headaches that are related to liver young rising or just the young in the body being above and not below, hot above, cold below type pattern, that having a hot foot bath can really rebalance that young and draw it back down towards the feet. Uh, So I find that's also quite effective and you can combine that with the magnesium, of course. Uh, And then there's yoga and things people may be able to do to assist their posture. I know it was really popular maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago that people who had office jobs needed to get up and walk around for five minutes per hour. But I really think that memo has gotten lost. I think people are trying to remember to do it. You know, the people who now have Apple Watches at uh, It'll give you an alert every hour to get up and move around if you haven't moved. Oh, that's great. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it, it dings you on about 10 minutes before, <laughs> at, at like 10 to, if you haven't moved in that hour, it'll say, hey, you're going to get up and move. I think that's a great mm. idea. Movement is just really essential. Yeah. And and to move move your arms through the full range of the shoulder socket, which is not something that people really do unless they're trying to. Yeah, and I think as well, like even like particularly for women, you know, just the the basics of like which shoulder do you carry your handbag on, how heavy is your handbag? Like some women just have way too much stuff in their handbag, and I often encourage women to just get a smaller handbag because, kind of, you know the amount of crap that you have in your handbag is relative to the size of your handbag and you're going to triage things differently if you have a smaller bag. (laughs) I like how you call it triage. This is emergency. Yes, basically. (laughs) You know, like really, do you, you know, do you really need to have all that stuff in your handbag? You really don't. Like Hmm. you just. Yes, Fashion is not friendly on posture, so the little backpack bag is also sometimes a good idea. Yeah. Mm. Or but yeah, people can just commando and just don't take anything. <laughs> and just see how you go. Well, like you could just if you back in to... my day, that's not what commando meant. Well, no, but you know, I'm kind of <laughs> trying to make it sound funny and inviting and potentially dangerous and naughty. <laughs> Yeah. You could just right. put, no knickers and no handbag. It's no knickers and no handbag. You could put like your credit card and your um, house key in your back pocket, and then just leave your house. And you yeah, and you could have no mobile phone or no cell phone. Um, you don't need all of the other stuff that's in your wallet or your purse. I mean, men do this really well because. They generally don't carry man bags and the only stuff they carry is what they can fit in their clothes. Yeah. So I encourage women to 
do do things differently. Mm. Um, and the other thing that we mentioned before as well was the um, the tight in the tightness in the pec muscles. Um, so there's some stretches that can be really great for helping to open up the pecs. So lying on your back and then twisting your legs over to one side and that kind of stretches open that pec that pec muscle area. Um, you can do you can stretch them out um, standing in a doorway and holding your arms up as you kind of lean into the doorway can help to um, stretch out those muscles there and, and some self-massage self in the shower as well. Often the intercostal muscles are quite tight in there too and just freeing up that space in the chest can allow a lot more easefulness when the patient tries to, you know, do it. Do as your grand. well, my grandmother used to always tell me, sit up straight, shoulders back. And, you know, slouching really does cause a lot of problems, <laughs> least of which mm -hmm. is that you can't actually breathe properly if you're not sitting up straight. But, yeah, that sitting up straight shoulders back posture is um, is really great and having pecs that are open and, and, and you know, that are, that are able to actually do that. Um, and sometimes you also need to strengthen those those muscles I think it's the rhomboids that kind of helps you to squeeze your shoulder blades together and um, and those muscles being strengthened can help you to hold yourself um, in in that posture more easily as well as having um, proper use of your abdominal muscles so that uh, so that you are actually able to sit up straight and the combination of those things can help to prevent someone from sliding back into that pattern of, uh, of um, neck and shoulder pain. Because I always tell patients, you know, I'm, my goal is to get you out of my clinic as soon as possible, back into your life, and I don't want you to be in here every week for, you know, however long. Like, you know, the more they can do for themselves and the more empowered they are, yeah, the better it is for everyone, I think. Yeah, I have a challenge for all listeners with you are a practitioner or not this is not just for the workplace to walk around every five minutes or so if you have a, a desk type job um, but also if you're binge watching television which is <laughs> you know this is a new thing that humans are doing as well so 100 kegels per episode <laughs> and <laughs> and and 50 shoulder blades squeeze them together Oh, we should have we should have given the challenge at the start of the episode. They could have been doing their kegels through <laughs> listening, and we know that you're all doing them now. <laughs> well, you can binge listen to the Heavenly Chi podcast if that's what you want to do. We don't mind at all. Yeah. You can do 100 kegels per episode of Heavenly Chi. <laughs> we're not just a podcast. We're a personal coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that we haven't talked about is Chinese herbs. And how could we forget Chinese herbs, my goodness me. I think that for that blood deficient pattern in women, I get such great results with, you know, if they do fit this pattern, with using Bajantang and adding in Gurgen. So Gurgen helps to release the muscles in, that sh in the shoulder and the neck. Um, and that's a great nice. formula with a very simple modification and it works really yeah. well. Oh, that, that's nice. I would also possibly reach for the Jishui Ting yeah. and add that in um, possibly, you know, after a few weeks of nourishing the blood, depending on what's the ratio between blood deficiency and blood stagnation. Yeah. Yeah. I love that herb, Jishui Ting. It's so... Mm -hmm. It's a great herb. It gets used a lot in my clinic. Yeah. I think also considering the use of meiguihua can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, because we think of it as a, you know, a shen herb or a heart herb to move that type of stagnation as well with the blood, but it does do that part of the body. So you can also do between the shoulder blades with meiguihua. Yeah. Another herb that can be really great is guaijiu, mm -hmm. just to help to warm and 
just gently, you know, release. Well, I guess it's it, it's more about harmonising in and way, but um, sometimes that can be a really um, relevant herb for patients with um, with pain in their neck and shoulder. Yeah, definitely. And I want to just deviate a little bit on the topic of cinnamon. I have found it to be absolutely incredible as a diluted oil used in massage on areas that are either more caused by cold or young deficient or just young steg chi stagnation. Mm. Um, and to you really do have to dilute your cinnamon oil, but it smells beautiful, you know, and I've had amazing, amazing changes in my own body as well around my coccyx, which I broke, I think, eight years ago or something. And that the that oil, the cinnamon oil, really has the capacity to get in there. Yeah, it's such a, you know, cinnamon is such a great substance and I think if we can get it as an essential oil and add it into various, you know, various topical formulations that's a great thing as well I think it's actually in um, persimmon oil is um, there's cinnamon in there as well as mint and dragon's blood persimmon oil is fantastic like um, it's I know that it's technically designed for colicky babies well that that picture of the demon baby on the bottle but it's so great for stress-related muscle tension um, and obviously also, well, I think it is also really great for um, early stages of um, exterior pathogenic attack with that mintan cinnamon in it. You've got that heat and cold and it's, uh, it's a, good, yeah. a good, um, good topical for either a wind heat or a wind cold. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm distracted by the demonic baby. <laughs> you know the picture I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, anyone who's seen a bottle, I do. Someone, I do. you know yeah. exactly the picture. It's got like, like little horns on its head and in one hand it's holding a bottle and then in the other hand it's got like a thumbs up or something. It's a strange picture. <laughs> it's a strange picture. I think I've had more, more conversations about decoding that image on that label than any other Chinese herbal product. Yeah, totally. Actually. <laughs> Yeah. Totally. Yeah. People go, I just need some more of that oil. It's got the picture of the baby on it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that just about wraps it up from us. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think we could talk a lot about herbs, but I'm, I think, you know, intending to just really encourage people to use the formulas that are going to address the overall patterns. And that way you'll probably get better results than just trying to come up with a neck and shoulder pain formula, especially if the patient has a lot of other things going on. Yeah. You've got to get your diagnosis right. You can't just give everyone mm -hmm. Shea son. Yeah. That's, that's the take <laughs> and, and That's the take And be careful when you, when you um, do have someone that has that blood deficiency pattern, if you give them Shea Oyasan and it kind of doesn't make them feel any better it makes them feel worse it's it's probably because you're you've got that chai hu in there that's raising and drying and yet there's no, just not enough fluid in the area mm. yeah the wrong chai hu so, yeah so when it comes to resolving pain you want to really get your basics right about whether or not you need to tonify first or move first yeah if you want to know more about the Chai Hu, um, then you can listen to one of our previous episodes with Simon Feeney. He's our, uh, he's our resident herb nerd and he loves everything about herbal medicine and he knows all kinds of things about herb identification that the rest of us don't even know that we don't know. So go back and listen to those episodes because he's really quite amazing. And I think we have Simon coming back on to talk with us again soon. Yes, we will have him back with us later in the year. So stay tuned for that. Okay. So if anybody has any questions or comments about today's show or your favourite tips, um, I know we didn't mention it, but I know that I've just been looking into the tongue points since we had Brad Wisnant on the show. And um, that was very inspiring. And I know that they're a really great system as 
especially if you're treating pain. And then also combining motor points with trigger points, if that's in your wheelhouse, that also is going to get you really great results for pain. Yeah. If anyone has any tips or tricks they'd like to mention about stuff we haven't covered, please put it in the comments section when we post this episode on our Facebook page. It's the Heavenly Tea page on Facebook. And if you listen to us on our website but you'd like to give us some love, jump on iTunes and give us a rating. We've been asking for that for a while and I wasn't aware of how we were going but we just found out that we've got a a bunch of lovely lovely reviews on iTunes and so thank you if you're someone that wrote one of those I was really warm-hearted to discover those today (laughs) yes so thank you for your lovely comments it's always nice to get some feedback because it's not a live audience we kind of we just hope and have our fingers crossed that uh, that you guys are enjoying what we're putting out there <laughs> well we think we're interesting <laughs> yeah yeah which... or, actually it's chinese medicine that is the, the great interest here yeah thanks for sharing your love of chinese medicine with us may you all be well and we'll see you next time see you soon bye for now